Hello, I'm Alex Mann, and I'm with Kaki Johnson at Smith Law Group. Hi, Alex. Thanks for the introduction. Uh, today, we'll be talking about the Consumer Bankruptcy Reform Act, a bill introduced on uh, Wednesday, December 8th by Senators Elizabeth Warren, Dick Durbin, Sheldon Whitehouse, along with uh, several House Democrats that, if passed, would be the first major overhaul of consumer bankruptcy law since the Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act of 2005. The bill addresses what, in our practice, we found to be a fundamental failing of the current bankruptcy system, uh, specifically with regard to student loan debt. And that's the failure to punish creditors and debt collectors for attempts to collect on uh, student debt that has been discharged in bankruptcy. There's a common misperception that all student loan debt is categorically non-dischargeable in bankruptcy, which is untrue. For example, consumer student loan debt would taken in order to attend a non-Title IV school or taken in an amount that exceeds the cost of attendance at an accredited school can and will be discharged in bankruptcy. The problem is in the enforcement of the discharge order, which operates as an injunction against any attempt at dis debt collection uh, post issuance of the discharge. Currently, there exists no private right of action to hold bad actors accountable when they violate a discharge order. This creates an especially ripe universe for abuse when it comes to student loans, given how most people presume that even after bankruptcy, their student loan debts are still outstanding, a presumption very much currently exploited by creditors and debt collectors. The enforcement problem is twofold. First, with no private right of action, courts have been inconsistent in just how to go about according relief after an injunction order has been violated. The most prevalent model is to treat the debt collection as a contempt violation. But while, while that gives courts wide discretion, it produces correspondingly inconsistent results. Second, given the disparity between the relief ultimately available and the procedural burden of litigation, the profit to be gained in violating discharge orders is greater than the price to be paid given the infrequency of any judicial consequences, a situation that suggests a class action approach to handling systemic discharge violations. Kaki, you wrote a blog post outlining some of the limitations in protecting the rights of debtors who have filed for bankruptcy and yet still have creditors attempting to collect on their discharge debts. Could you explain what the problem is and how the Consumer Bankruptcy Reform Act might make an impact? Uh, yes, thank you, Alex. Um, so you've actually already summarized the problem quite nicely, um, but stated perhaps even more simply, the current problem is really just that there are thousands of individuals nationwide that have been through bankruptcy and have certain types of student loan debt that are discharged in bankruptcy, but their student loan creditors continue to collect or, or are attempting to collect on those debts. So. These individuals are being harassed by creditors and debt collectors and even paying them on debts that aren't due according to the, the bankruptcy code. Um, however, most people, as you, you uh, had discussed, they, they just lack the resources to contest these illegal collection attempts. Um, or in some cases, as you noted, they're just unaware that their debts were in fact discharged. And this is largely because the, the lenders insinuate that all student loans are non-dischargeable in bankruptcy, which plainly just is not true, as, as I'll mention um, a little bit later. 
as you mentioned, there's no private right of action to contest the dischargeability of these debts. And the circuit courts thus far have indicated that a nationwide class action cannot move forward procedurally under the bankruptcy code. So there are just thousands of individuals being taken advantage of. Uh, the CBRA should fix this uh, by creating a private right of action to contest the discharge debts and by allowing for class actions so that entities violating these discharge orders can be checked, if you will, in a much more efficient manner. Uh, rather than every affected person having to file a separate lawsuit or motion, something that just practically speaking could not happen, more people could be helped with just maybe a handful of lawsuits covering them. And who are some of the bad actors in this? And how have they been taking care of, the, uh, taking advantage of the system? So, you know, Navient is probably the main one and the one people are most familiar with. Uh, but let me just backtrack and, and provide a little bit of history on, on how they've ultimately been able to take advantage. Um, so back in 2001, commercial lenders such as Navient began experimenting with these new student loans um, a new product called the direct-to-consumer, or I'll just refer to it as the DTC loan. Um, the DTC loans were marketed and dispersed outside financial aid offices to avoid the, the regulatory restrictions that were imposed under the, um, the Higher Education Act that prohibited lenders from originating loans in excess of a school's published cost of attendance. Uh, most of these DTC loans are therefore not qualified education loans under the bankruptcy code because they exceeded the cost of attendance or were made to ineligible students or made to students at non-accredited or, or non-Title IV schools. Um, so these DTC loans are, are mostly, they're just going to be freely dischargeable in bankruptcy. But lenders, namely Navient, <laughs> nevertheless continue to collect on non-qualified DTC loans after bankruptcy discharges are obtained by debtors. Um, because of this, private litigants have brought suit. Of course, we're involved in those suits. And lo and behold, the courts have agreed that these debts are dischargeable in bankruptcy. However, given the limited scope of these decisions, i.e. because they only apply to certain jurisdictions, namely for us, the, the Southern District of Texas and the Eastern District of New York, um, and because, as we mentioned, there's no way for the litigants to broaden their cases to help everyone in a similar circumstance across the country, Navient and others have continued to collect. And in fact, this is, this is pretty egregious, Navient's CEO acknowledged the dischargeability of these DTC loans, but implied that enforcement of the ruling would be near impossible, suggesting that Navient isn't really so concerned about the excuse me, illegality of its actions so long as, as no one can stop them from what they're doing. So one of the motivating principles, as I understand it, of the proposed legislation is just the failure in the past to enforce uh, some of the current laws protecting against discharge violations. Could you provide some background on what those problems are and how they relate to the Fifth Circuit decision in Crocker? Right. So uh, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but um, so Crocker is the case that we had filed in the bankruptcy court for the Southern District of Texas. 
and it was filed by two plaintiffs that reside in that district, that district being Southern District of Texas, uh, but only one of the plaintiffs actually filed his underlying or initial bankruptcy in that district. Uh, the other plaintiff filed bankruptcy in the Eastern District of Virginia, but he now resides in Houston, which is the, the Southern District of Texas. Uh, so on appeal from the bankruptcy court, the Fifth Circuit actually agreed with the plaintiffs that the loans at issue, which are private Navient loans for attendance at non-Title IV schools, uh, were dischargeable in bankruptcy, you know, as, as we've been arguing for so many years, uh, but concluded that the plaintiff whose bankruptcy was not filed in the Southern District of Texas could not contest the dischargeability of his debts in that district. Um, instead, the court held that, that um, Mr. Shabazi must actually return to the Eastern District of Virginia so that the court that entered the discharge order could interpret that form order. And, and I say form order because these orders are all identical. So, you know, the idea that each one should be interpreted differently or by a different court is uh, somewhat off base in, in my personal opinion. Um, and the court's decision was based on a curious, for, for lack of a better word, reading of Federal Rule of Bankruptcy Procedure uh, 4004F. And I'm just gonna read that rule actually, um, because I think it, it speaks volumes. Um, so that, that rule is registration in other districts. And it states an order of discharge that has become final may be registered in any other district by filing a certified copy of the order in the office of the clerk of that district. When so registered, the order of discharge shall have the same effect as an order of the court of the district where registered. Um, so that, that's all it says. Um, but rather than interpret that rule literally, the court reviewed the legislative history and decided that the statute didn't allow for like manner enforcement of a discharge order in a court other than the issuing court. The issuing court being the court that issued the in initial discharge order in the underlying bankruptcy proceeding. So basically now we're in a position where if the Fifth Circuit's holding is the current state of the law, there could be no nationwide class actions for contesting dischargeability. And our hope is, is that the CBRA would correct this problem, at least in theory, it should. So, it, and if it passes in its current state, do you think that there's anything left unresolved as it may relate to the problems we've discussed? So I think it might just be too early to assess the impact it may have. That said, I, I'd like to think that this would resolve quite a few of the enforcement issues uh, with this particular area of law. But of course, in the work we do, there are still many areas for improvement. For example, how we define the word funded in the context of Section 523A8A1, but I'll, I'll save that for another time. It doesn't necessarily uh, apply here. Well, Kaki, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.